Heaven, God of all grace and mercy and joy, Father, as we dive into your holy, infallible word, we pray that it would pierce our hearts. You would lay us bare before you. But we know, God, as you expose us, you do not leave us to fix it on our own. But instead, you call us to run to you, the author and finisher of our salvation. Bless the hearts and minds of your people. Would you grant us understanding? And would you soften our hearts that we may receive the word of God? We ask this in Christ's name. And if you believe him, somebody ought to say amen, amen. in the room. You can be seated at this time. Does anybody in the room remember the game called Tug of War? Perhaps you remember that game and... I remember it very vividly because I love, love, love the game of tug of war. It's two teams on the opposite side pulling against one another to show who's the strongest. And you know when you're getting ready to lose in tug of war because instead of using your muscles in your arms, you're using the muscles in your face. And you're trying to pull on that rope so that they do not pull you to the other side. Oh, I used to love the game of tug of a war. Teams pull on opposite ends of the ropes with the goal being to bring the rope a certain distance in one direction against the force of the opposing team's pull. And our text today deals with the gospel tug of war. Specifically, the tug of war between sin and grace. The tug of war between sin and grace. Our sin, God's grace, which is stronger, which is greater, the sin of man or the grace of God. Paul says in verse 18, if you drop your eyes down there, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For it's by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Talk to us, Paul. What are you trying to communicate this morning? Verses 18 and 19, if you were not here last week, it sounds like a repeat from last week's verses. That in Adam all have sinned, yet those who believe in Christ have eternal life. In Adam all has sinned, and all those in Christ have eternal life. In verses 18 and 19, Paul is really pressing the issue using Adam as a type of Christ. He set the two against each other to show us not just how great is our ruin, but Paul wants to drive home just how great is our rescue. Remember the point. When Adam sinned as the first man... We all sin with him. The phrase I use is from bad boys. We ride together, we die together. But the opposite is true, that Christ lived a righteous life, so all those in him are righteous and therefore shall live. We ride with Christ, we live with Christ. And last week I used a power strip cord to illustrate this. One power strip cord is off, 
And you know that anything that is plugged into an off-power strip cord doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many times you press that on button, it's not going to come on. Everything connected to that power cord is off. And in the same way, all of us are born into sin because we are in Adam. And because we are in Adam, we are on the off mode. We have no power to overcome sin. We have no power to overcome evil. We are in ruins. But then there's a second power cord. and That power strip cord is on. And that power strip cord represents Christ. That everybody who's plugged into Jesus Christ all of a sudden have the ability to overcome their sins. All of a sudden, they have a desire for the word. And it is not because of human strength. It is because of the power coming through the power cord that gives us power to overcome sin. Do you hear me this morning? Adam in Christ. God sees the world in two categories. You are either in Adam or you are in Jesus power cord that is on is Jesus. Adam's sin takes us down to death and damnation. Jesus' death takes us up to resurrection and life. Furthermore, Adam's sin brought condemnation, and Jesus' obedience on the cross brings justification. Let me say that again. Adam's sin brought condemnation, and Jesus' obedience brought justification. And we receive this justification by having personal trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We receive justification, make sure that I'm clear, through putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just that simple, and it's just that plain. No Christ, no heaven. Stay in Adam. Judgment awaits you. We all fail in Adam. We all sin in Adam. We can all be made righteous in Christ in the same way. It is an analogous that Paul is using. Before we dive into the rest of the verse, I want to make you aware of two heresies. Two heresies. Let's have a pastoral moment here. Because there are two heresies lurking in the background of this text. In verses 18 and 19. There are two heresies, and we could fall victim here to them if we are not careful. Let me explain what a heresy is. Heresy is a strong word, and so we got to be careful how we apply it and how we use it. You hear the word heresy sometimes in the Christian world flying everywhere. Most heresies have been called out time and time again through the centuries of the church. But in every age, there are heresies that pop up as interesting or novel thinking disguised as truth. The devil is never going to give you a flat-out lie. He's going to mix it in to your favorite Kool-Aid. Mine is red for the blood. No, I'm just messing around. But he's going to mix it in so that you can take it, almost like putting medicine in a baby's bottle. Heresy is usually cloaked. And heresy is any idea that is not orthodox or agreed upon as right doctrine which changes the gospel is a heresy. Anything that changes the gospel is a heresy. And most heresies have been called out over the centuries, as I said. The first heresy we see here 
and I want you to note this, is the idea that Adam was not an historical figure. There is a belief in foot of movement that argues that Adam was not an actual God. Some people who lean on scientific investigation make the claim that Adam was not the first man. It goes against what origin studies are suggesting. So therefore, they take the word Adam, which literally means mankind, and flatten the meaning to simply refer just to a concept of humankind as we began. To these people, Adam is a mythical character or just a code word for humanity. And that is a very big issue. Nor do I get their angle. There is a significant tension in the logic because Paul, in the verse that we're studying today, apparently believes in an actual and real Adam who was a singular person. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you disagree with the Bible, the Bible is going to get my vote, not you. Okay? And if your mind is broken or you don't understand something or you feel a contradiction in the word of God, the word of God is not broken. Your mind is broken, but the word of God is not broken. Paul believed in an actual Adam. His whole argument here in Rome is rest upon the existence of a real Adam as a type of real Christ. Since one man's sin condemns us all, we know that one man's act of righteousness can reverse the consequences of that sin. If you make Adam a myth, Romans 5 collapses. If you make Adam a myth, Romans 5, you might as well rip it out of your Bible. The idea of imputed righteousness collapsed. And for those of you who have not been journeying with us, imputed righteousness is simply God taking the righteousness of Jesus Christ and giving it to us. Let me say it another way. Imputed righteousness is Jesus stepping in our place, taking our charges, taking the death sentence so that we get a sentence of acquittal. That's what imputed righteousness is. God gives you Jesus' righteousness so that when Jesus opens your file, what he sees is the goodness of his son and not you. Your bad record is thrown out. If you don't have an Adam, that collapses, and the gospel collapses, and you and I are left graceless and condemned by the wrath of God. If there is no grace, <laughs> I'm done for. I can't go to any other religion because it ain't enough grace. I mess up too much. I need grace every day. So, without Adam, we are graceless and condemned by the wrath of God. Because Adam existed, the gospel is good news. That's why Luke connects the birth of Jesus to the first man, Adam. The son of God in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, he lived 42 generations before Christ. Adam lived 42 generations before Christ. You can go and count them. So, you know, when you're reading your Bible and it says such and such, we got such and such, and such and such, we got such and such, and you just kind of skip over it. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's there for a reason. They're tracing the genealogy of the Messiah and connecting him to the people of the Old Testament. They're there for a reason. Now, you ain't got to sound the names out because I don't get them right. Probably never going to get them right until I get to heaven. 
The second heresy, which takes less thought to fall into, is you can take verses 18 and 19 and read it and just accept it for what the words say without understanding that which has been said all around it. Now, this is important because what I'm pressing the point on is the argument for context. You can take anything out of context and make it mean what you want to mean. Which is why when preachers are preaching to you, you need to go back and say, is this, is this is what the author is conveying? Right? That's just like you saying something and somebody taking a sentence out of what you said and they say, she said this. And you say, no, I didn't say that. Did you not read the rest of my letter? That's what is happening here when people take this heresy. So one act of righteousness, this is what the verse says. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. If you just read that one verse, you could say, look, Jesus really does save all men, and he really does save everybody, and in the end, he really doesn't send anyone to hell. Love wins. Amen. Let's go home. The doctrine has always enjoyed some contingency of popularity, even amongst the early Christians, and why not? Who wants to preach about hell? No one. Who doesn't want to see all their loved ones in heaven? It is a normal emotional byproduct of our relational capacity as humans. The word for this belief is called universalism. You can write that down. Universalism. It's what it's called. Everybody is going to be saved and there is no Hell, universalism. It is the core tendon of the Unitarian Church. They believe that all roads lead to God or that people in hell can repent and be saved, even Satan himself. But the problem with this idea is that you only get this idea from cherry-picking verse 18 apart from verse 17, 16, 15, and 14. It makes it very clear that the only ones that are going to be saved are those who have faith in Jesus. Friends, therefore, context and understanding the Bible has to say as a whole is very important. So, Bethel Gary, let us be discerning in our thinking. And please realize that by faith and by the Holy Spirit and by reason, we can trust that Adam was a historical person in a real garden talking to a real snake and disobeying a real God and suffer real consequences. Non-negotiable. Now let's get into our text. Verses 20 through 21. Verse 20 says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespasses, the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin reigned in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. My first point here is the law was tugging against us. We're going back to our analogy of tug of war. The law was tugging against us, not for us. But it is somewhat unexpected that Paul would reference the law because, Paul, you have already talked about the law in the previous chapters. You have made it clear, Paul, that all of us die because we are in Adam. Why bring up the law? Remember who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to a Jewish Gentile congregation in Rome. The law to the Gentile Christians was new and maybe unfamiliar. But the law to the Jews 
Jewish believers had been the basis for their relationship with God. The Jews related to God through the law. The gospel comes along and says to the Gentiles, the law is more important than you realize, and to the Jews is less important than you think. So what is the purpose of the law of God? What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Is it to make us right? Is it a go-do list God has given us? Is it how we get saved? What is the Ten Commandments for? Let's look at the beginning of verse 20. Paul states it. The law came in to increase the trespasses. Let me say that again. The law came in to increase the trespass. What? How can a law increase the wrongness of a moral action? Let's remember the law's place in the story of the Bible. Pull up the timeline. We have first creation. Then we have Adam. We have Abraham and we have Moses. So we have creation and then the fall when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Death entered into the world. God calls Abraham. Then he calls Moses. The law doesn't come into the book of Exodus. So the law was nowhere on the scene thousands of years before Abraham, before Moses ever came. And yet people are dying, although they did not break a rule. Why the law? The law didn't come into Moses. And in the previous verses, he has said that just because the law hadn't been given doesn't mean people weren't guilty. How else do you explain everyone dying? All died. All were guilty. How? Because when Adam sinned in the garden, God condemned us all. God condemned you as if you were in the garden with Adam. Hold up. As I said last week, you telling me that God condemned me before I was born? Yes, he did. And what happens inside of us is we're like, that's not fair. But here's the thing. Fairness does not begin with human measurement. Fairness begins with God. God gets to dictate what is fair. But if we say that we don't want Adam representing us and us paying the price for what he did, then the opposite is true. Jesus dying on the cross and living a righteous life for you cannot be applied to you. But God does it both ways. Adam condemns, Jesus saves, they both represent us. Because God considered us to be an Adam, so when he ate the fruit, we all ate the fruit. We ride together, we die together. So why does God give the law? If everyone has already died before the law, isn't it kind of extra for God to bring in the law? It's like, God, why kick us while we are down already? We are already guilty. We are already dead because of our forefather, Adam. Isn't that what you're saying, Paul? Because if I'm a Jew, I'm asking, so what's the point of the law? Paul must explain this. Paul is a wise theologian. So Paul focuses on one primary reason. God gave the law, and it was 
to increase trespass. This is what the law does. The law doesn't make sin sin. Sin is sin because of God. He is not saying that God introduced the law because he wanted to make us sin more, but that he wanted us to be more aware of our sins and the fact that we had a totally sinful nature. The law reveals that I have a total sinful nature. God wanted to show us that we are like our father, Adam. He wanted to show us that the world was full of little Adams. Picture this like the Minions. You guys know that movie, right? God brought the law in to show the world there was a bunch of little evil Minions in the world. That we were all like Adam. Every last one of us. The law turned the lights on exposing the billions of sinful Minions in the world. But what do we use the law for? We take the law and we make it into a ladder to climb our way back up to God. But the Ten Commandments purpose are not to get you to God, but to reveal to you how far you are from God. A mirror is not made to remove dirt on your face, but to show you that it's there. For the construction workers in the room. A leveler is not made to level things, but to reveal to you what's not leveled. The law isn't there to make you right, but to show you that you're not right. The law tugs against us, and it is pulling us into damnation. It is pulling us into hell. Now I want you to notice a couple things about this verse that is going to make this very, very, very clear. Paul says something here, and he uses certain words. The law says, Paul, come, came in. Now, that verb there is very, very critical. The law came in. The verb that he uses here means to come beside or to creep in. It served as a highlighter marker, if you will. What does a highlighter marker do? It highlights words. A highlighter doesn't make words appear. Instead, it makes it clear that they are there. Why does Paul use that word? Showing that it held no primary place. The law came in, but it held no primary place. Its purpose was that the trespass, notice that he says singular, trespass singular, not trespasses. Because he's referring to the sin of Adam. So that it may be clear that there's a bunch of little minions in the world that are evil. It was, the law was not concerned with preventing us from sinning. And so a lot of us, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we think that it's there to stop us from sinning. But that's not the purpose, primarily. It's not what the law is for. It was too late. Adam had already sinned, and the nature of him had already been passed on. Nor was the law concerned with stopping us from committing more sins, because the law is too weak to stop you from sinning. 
The law cannot stop you from sinning. In fact, when we find out that we can't do something, we want to do more of it. You're not going to tell me to just stay in his room and don't go in that room. Now I really want to go in that room. I'm itching to go in that room. The law arouses our sin, which is why in Romans 3.20, and you can highlight this in your Bibles, for all those who argue that the Ten Commandments is the thing that makes us right, Romans 3.20 makes it clear. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law came the knowledge of sin, the law can only condemn us. It cannot save us. Let's do a tug of war test here. Hell's on that side. The law's on that side. Sin's on that side. And we're on this side. And we're tugging against the law. We're tugging against our sin. Let's do a tug of war test. The Ten Commandments says, thou should not lie. Have you ever told a lie before? Yes. And if you lie, that makes you what? A liar. Pulling over a little bit more. The, the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. It goes on to say, if you even hate your brother in your heart, you have committed murder. Have you ever hated someone? That makes you a murderer. You're a little bit more closer to hell. The Bible says, thou shall have no other gods before me. Have you had other gods before him? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be reading. It could be school. Anything that you find your most joy in, that is your God. And God says, that's idolatry. So by your own admission, you are a lying thieving idolater and if God if you were to stand before God today you would go to hell you know what a lot of people are breaking on God's nice isn't he I just know the man upstairs gonna give me some slack you didn't see the door I opened last week you didn't see the GoFundMe I gave to I typed amen I sent on a prayer request in my inbox I know I'm good no you're not gonna meet a nice God on the other side you're gonna meet a judge righteous God on the other side that's a tug of war that you're not going to win but thanks be to God that tugging on the other side is not us but the grace of God tugging for us the law on that side sin on that side what I did last night on that side the devil's on that side death is on that side but on the other side of the rope is God almighty the king of kings and the lord of lords you remember in tug of war that was that one guy that got up in the loop and he tied it around himself and he was the anchor the bible says that there's an anchor for my soul and his name is Jesus Christ <laughs> friends my next point is God's grace is tugging for us y'all let me calm down because I got to explain it first I'm getting so excited let me calm down this is what Paul says but where sin increased grace abounded all the more where sin increased grace all the more. Here's Paul's amazing point. Sin in all of its honest ugliness, in all of its power, in all of its enslavement over our lives to the point of death, 
is still no match for the grace of God, which abounds all the more over us. Now, there's something that you got to see in this verse, because there are two words that Paul uses in this verse for abound or increase. The first one is plosio. I said that wrong, but that's all right. And that word means more than enough, to have enough. Now, the other word used is presuel, and it actually is a synonym to the first word. But when they are used together, they are saying different things. Pelosio, the first word means to abound, but peruzu means to go even beyond that. And take it to a greater extreme. Not only that, but Paul puts a preposition, hooper, in front of the word prezio. So what he is saying is, not only does God's grace go beyond increasing, not only does it go beyond sin as it increases, but it goes way beyond sin. So if our sin is as deep as the Atlantic Ocean, God's grace is four times deeper than the Atlantic Ocean. Let me put it plain. It ain't nobody that the grace of God cannot save. There ain't no drug addict that he cannot save, no rapist that he cannot save, no murderer that he cannot save. There's no sin that the grace of God cannot cover. Oh, if you knew that the grace of God is something that you needed, you would have gotten more excited than that. You think that you're too good this morning, but the Bible says that we are filthy rags before God. We are dirty. We are scumbags of the earth, but the Bible says no matter how deep your sin is, God's sin is going the extra mile. It's going over and beyond incomprehensible grace. Friends, there is no sin big enough or strong enough on the other side of that tug of world rope that can overcome the grace of God. Not even liars. Not even murderers. Not even rapists. No one is greater than the grace of God. If grace supers abounds over sin, then we know that it is impossible to out the grace of God. You cannot outsin the grace of God. We can't sin more than God can forgive. Now let's be real. I forgive you. If you sin against me one time, I may let that go. And then you do the same thing two times. All right, I'm balling up my fist now. I'm balling up my fist now. All right. Then the third time, are we fighting? Bottom line. But God doesn't do that. If we were God, all of us would be in hell. You would have let the rope go a long time ago. Bye, you're gone. I'm done. I ain't tugging no more for none of y'all. See ya. Peace. Because honestly, the reality is, is that when we think of the grace of God, we think that God's grace is short and that it is limited. Which is why sometimes when we mess up, we stop going to church. Can we be real this morning? Sometimes when we mess up, we stop reading our word. Can we be real this morning? Sometimes when we fall into sin, we feel that God doesn't love us anymore. Sometimes when we mess up, we say we can't go into that church building. It'll burn down. It'll fall down on us because we have a wrong perception of the 
grace of God. Paul is arguing in this text that no matter what your sin is, the grace of God abounds all the more. So that when you're in your room and you're weeping and the devil is beating you down, you need to remind yourself, yes, I messed up. Yes, I jacked up. But devil, I came to tell you that there's grace is greater than what I did. And I don't look to myself. I turn to Jesus Christ so that he can lift me up. People sin against us. We have a little grace, but watch Jesus. Watch him at work, church. Watch what he does. We read over these things, but watch him and the beauty of his glory and the holiness of his holiness. Watch this love. Luke 23, 33 to 35. When you read it, I want you to ask yourself, would you do this? And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, and let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Here they are beating him. The Bible says that they beat Christ until he was unrecognizable as a human being. They put thorns on his head, nails in his hands and a nail in his foot, and yet he's saying, God, forgive them. They're scoffing and making fun of him, and love is still going towards them. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't. Curse them. Damn all of them, God. But not Jesus. In the face of the worst possible evil, the grace of God is present. The grace of God is present in the deepest evil the world has ever experienced. Dying for you and I. Why is he hanging on that cross? He obeyed all of his father's commands. There was no sin found in him. And yet, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, Hold on for a second. It's one thing to say you forgive them. What makes it even more astonishing is that you have the power to crush them. He has the power to just speak a word in the hands that were nailing him. He could have said disintegrate and it would have fell off. He could have said angels come down. He had the power to do so and yet he did not say a word. What love is this? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? They beat Jesus until he was unrecognizable. Church, stop treating the grace of God like children, like mothers do their kids at Chuck E. Cheese. You get 10 tokens. Once you're out, 
you're out. That's not the grace of God. We're like, we get 10 tokens of grace, I better use them wisely. I want to do something this weekend, so I'm going to use that token. It's not how it works. No. By God's grace, he provides 100% of what is necessary for salvation and 100% of what we need to be saved. Praise God for grace that never runs dry. God is tugging for us. And my last point is this. Grace is king. So that, look at the verse. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you recall, when Adam fell, sin took its rightful place as king. Death took its rightful place as king. To say that, to say that sin reigned points out that we are subordinate to sin. Be very careful here because this is very critical. We could not break free from the rule of sin, nor could we escape death. This is crucial to understand. Sin is your king and master as long as you're in Adam. We got a lot of tactics on trying to overcome sin, but the fundamental reason that sin reigns in your life it's because you are an Adam. Paul's point is you need a new king. And you need to be in a new kingdom. Well, how do you stop a king from reigning in your life? You must defeat him or kill him. The bulls were reigning champs in MJ Day until they were what? Defeated. When we try to defeat sin, we die. But there is another king called grace that can and has defeated sin. Only grace can defeat sin. Friends, in other words, if grace and sin get, get into a fight, grace would beat the brakes off of sin. That's how we used to say it. You got the brakes beat off of you. Here's another way. You know you lost a fight. If somebody at the end of the fight hands you your shoe, you lost that fight. I don't care what you say. If you get your shoe handed to you, you lost that fight. I came to tell you that grace handed sin its shoe, and it did it 2,000 years ago. Jesus beat the brakes off of sin, and he beat the brakes off of death, and he beat the brakes off of the law. I know some of y'all not hood, so let me give it to you how the Bible says, oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There was a tug-of-war match 2,000 years ago, and God pulled us out of sin and death and hate and, and evil and ugliness. God won the battle. God handed sin its shoe. It handed the law its shoe, and it declared that Jesus is Lord. And this is why in the book of Philippians it says this, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord of all. 
Amen and amen. Friends, God wants you to be comforted with this text. Worship team is coming back at this time. The first thing that God wants us to understand is that in Christ, you have been freed from sin. In Christ, you have been freed from sin. Let me explain that really, really, really fast. A lot more of this coming in chapter 6. When slaves were set free by, by writing that they were free, they needed more than just writing. They needed to believe that they were free. Christian, you are free. Jesus handed sin its you. You're free. Stop fighting to be free and tell yourself that you are free on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are free. Don't go back to Egypt. Go to the promised land. Here's the second thing. We're all going to be shocked on that glorious day when we stand before our Lord. When those who have not trusted in him will rise to judgment. Those who are trusted in him will have already passed from judgment into life. Do you know what heaven will be populated with? Not just the greedy old lady who didn't give a penny to anyone. Or the self-absorbed businessman who stabbed a few colleagues in the back along the way. Or the gossipy church lady. Or the gossiping male who ran their mouth when they shouldn't have. Heaven will have the worst of sinners. The murderers. The rapists. The thief. The prostitute. All those who trust in Jesus. They will be in heaven. You pick your sin, whatever it is, if you trust in Jesus, heaven awaits you. Why? Because the worse we sin, the greater God's grace becomes. As God will not give one inch of his glory to sin or Satan or anyone else, his grace is higher and stronger and tougher and deeper and wiser and greater than all of our sins. And on one end of the rope, it's sin and law and death and Satan tugging against us. But on the other end of the rope, it is God's amazing grace. And God never loses. Amen. And amen to the King of Kings.